What's up, guys and gals? My name is Jim, and this is Shattering Stained Glass. We are a podcast for the spiritual refugee in post-Christian America. I want to welcome friends, welcome enemies, and we got a show for you. Uh, this is episode six. Uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about toxic leadership, uh, more specifically in the church, but I think it's kind of been heightened uh, throughout this year, uh, 2020 in America, but especially right now. At the time of this recording is the day after uh, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think it's definitely heightened even more so of the toxicity of leadership in our country at this time. So I think a lot of things we're going to be talking about within the toxic leadership within the church could be kind of applied just in general. But uh, this might be a bumpy episode. This might be a rough episode. We shall see. But without further ado, let's get this bad boy started. The single most important question any human being can ask is the question, what is truth? There is a truth that can be known and must be applied if we're going to walk in step with ultimate reality. And that's the answer. We don't know God. If we knew God, we'd set the world on fire. A lot of our society right now appears and seems to be all about speaking truth uh, to power, or at least their truth uh, to power. It seems to kind of be just a mantra that this generation coming up in America is all about. Today, I want to talk a little bit about that, but I want to share a little bit more of my journey uh, with some of the the church leaders that, that I've engaged and I've encountered. Anybody that knows me knows that I, I have a tendency to not be impressed with title, uh, not be impressed with a position. Because of that, I tend to I tend to kind of speak my mind, uh, regardless of the the title or position of a person. I just speak to them as a normal human being, because the way I see it is they put their pants on the same way everyone else does. So anyway, needless to say, that has gotten me in trouble many a time. I I shared a story back in the Church Hurt episode about the church plant that I was a part of, and there's a lot of conversations and things that I had with the leadership before uh, being fired from that position. Truth be told, like I, I think it was through those conversations that things begin to uh, kind of unravel in our relationship. You know, I um, the the head pastor at the time of the church plant. He was actually, like I said, he's the vice president of a um, very very large company. It's a man that was basically he's used to um, authority. He's used to kind of making decisions and things happening, and he you know says things and and they happen. And here I am, this guy that. Um, riding a bicycle. I wear a bandana. I have an ugly beard and this young punk kid. He would ask me questions and I would just flat out tell him, man, I would just say, I would just say exactly how I saw things and it is what it is. And I I began to discover very quickly that uh, that's probably not a good idea. uh, If you want to maintain or keep a a position, especially in the church world, if you want to maintain a position, then you, you got to honor that position, uh, the people above you. And actually there's a, there's kind of a culture in the church that is very big on that, about honoring the pastor or the leader. Part of honoring that is not to speak ill to them or of them. Um, I kind of, I don't, I don't follow that. And um, it's gotten me in a lot of trouble. You know, there's a, many a meeting I had with, with the pastors of the inner city church. Truth be told, a lot of those meetings probably led up to my termination uh, with, with them. And I, I don't blame them at all for that. It's kind of the way they handled it after that, that, that really caused the hurt uh, in not only my life, but my wife's life. Many times in those meetings, I would just speak openly, uh, speak my mind. And I don't think maybe they were used to that. We had a meeting with a, a, a large uh, businessman in the area who also worked in ministry and he was wanting to create a sports ministry. And, and basically, I 
I was very just open, very honest and being like, hey, why don't you just partner with the one that's already happening in inner city here? Like, why do you need to create your own? Why not come alongside and, and pour resources in that and, and partner with them and have a have a good network? And, and I, I could tell that they were a little taken aback by that. Just the, the fact that I was willing to just openly say, hey, your idea um, kind of sucks. And here's why, you know, um, I could tell that that kind of chipped away some things. I, I also was very vocal about a, you know, one of the pastors, they, they did a, a new hire of a, uh, a church growth pastor in that they had made a decision to, to have a thing called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And I was pretty outspoken about the fact that I, I didn't think scaring people out of hell was the, uh, the route to go. In fact, I felt like it was very manipulative and very wrong in general. And that, um, that didn't sit well with the, uh, the leadership above me. Uh, but I, I can, I remember one distinct meeting that I had with the lead pastor of the church. And uh, keep in mind, this guy lived in the suburbs and he would drive in with his Lexus and his Starbucks and his three-piece suit on a, on a Sunday morning. He'd get up and he'd share a message. And usually, you know, there were good messages. Okay. But um, oftentimes he would use illustrations from that made sense to him and that spoke to uh, his demographic of people. Most of the people coming to the church were people from the rescue mission. Uh, so a lot of homeless guys, as well as people living in the housing projects. Most of them were on a fixed income. They're living off of welfare. They're, you know, just people that are living in poverty. Also, a lot of them happen to be uh, non-white. But yet, the, you know, the, a lot of times the sermon illustrations would be kind of tailored to what a suburban white church would be about. And and, and keep in mind, I, you know, as working as a youth pastor there, I, I, I had never worked in that context before, but I was attempting, I was at least trying to uh, navigate the, the, the issues that we were having, which was that we had a, a large group of suburbanites that were coming into the inner city to plant an inner city church. And so you had this, this mixture of of people, which was it, was, it was really a beautiful thing when it all started out and a lot of good things were happening. But it's something that I began to notice that the, the language and that the, 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 the illustrations used from the pulpit were very um, white, suburbanite type sermons and messages. And I remember the pastor, he um, made the mistake of asking the question, what would you do differently if you were in my position? I said, well, honestly, I would, um, I would change up the way that you do your sermons. Let me just go ahead and tell you that if you if you if you're working in the church world right now and you're not the lead pastor and your lead pastor comes to you and asks you what you would do differently, do not critique their sermons unless you're okay with finding a new job. That probably will not go well with you. But basically, I, I told him, I said, hey, I said, quite honestly, I would change up the way I do sermons. I said, man, you're using uh, illustrations from a dead poet society and talking about driving through Starbucks uh, drive through. And I was like, you know, the, these are people that. They, they don't have that. They don't have that. those experiences. They cannot relate to that. And he, his, his response to me actually was, I'm not going to talk ghetto, um, which, which my, my reply to that, and I, I just told him what I was dealing with as a youth pastor at that time. I was like, I'm dealing with kids that are worried about uh, getting locked up. And then I've also got kids that are worried about the next app for their iPhone. I was like, got to speak to the context that you're in a little bit. Um, needless to say, that, that, that conversation didn't go well. You know, later on, there's kind of a big blow up that happened at the church. And um, there was a, a conversation I had with the the associate pastor. He and I were having a conversation about it. And he's like, man, you, you've got to understand, like, you know, we're just we're just trying to protect the church. We're just trying to to help the church grow. Uh, we're just thinking about the future of the church. And I tried to bring the perspective to him of like, man, the kids we're trying to reach, which were these kids that were causing a lot of trouble at the time. They are the future of this church. Because they were the ones living in the neighborhood. And I told him, I was like, man, we, we're a bunch of white guys. Like, if you think we're going to reach the, the black community in these housing projects, 
without them, then you, you're, you're, you're mistaken. Um, needless to say, our views of ministry were very, um, very different. And obviously, I don't work there. You know, you fast forward to uh, this larger church that I was working at as a, and I was working in the maintenance department at the time. And, you know, near the end of my, my time there, one of the pastors had called me to the office. He was very offended by the fact that I was talking about how toxic the church culture was. His father actually was um, like the second pastor to ever run that church. And uh, his brother had worked there at one point. Like, you know, so it was, it was very much a family thing. But I, he had heard that I had felt like the culture there was just toxic in general. He became quite offended by that. And so we had a meeting. And in that meeting, you know, we, I, I shared my concerns and he had a defense for all of them. And then it, it turned that the meaning turned into something different. He began to talk about the things I was doing as a volunteer. I was teaching a lot of, you know, in kids ministry. I was I taught a couple of Bible classes and stuff there. And and he, he talk, began to talk about it. He's like, you know, uh, all the pastors and I agree, like you, you have a gift and you, you know, he was very encouraging of these things. He said, but the one issue that I have is that you don't have a degree. And so I explained to him, I was like, look, man, I, I started going to Bible college. I was working on getting my degree, but then it got to a point where like, I didn't, I didn't want to go into debt. Felt like going into debt wasn't um, was not was not a good thing. It wasn't wise. And uh, he proceeded to tell me that like he was even like you know that you have to have it if you're going to do ministry. You have to have a degree. He went on to say like how he was even still to this day paying on his his son's college degree. And so you know it, it was just it became a very very quickly I began to see kind of the writing on the wall. And I was already making my my transition out of that uh, particular situation, but. I guess I share both of those stories just to say that, you know, we, we have this idea of speaking truth to power, and we need to speak truth to power, and um, especially in our culture uh, right now uh, in America. And I just want to say that, you know, as empowering as it seems, those with power, they don't often care. And ultimately, speaking truth to power, it, it feels good. It scratches this itch, but it, it nothing changes. And because of that, it doesn't change the structure. Now, I, you know, I can look back on these meetings and these conversations I had with these leaders, and I can see there are things that I, I probably should have done a little differently, maybe approached them with more humility and grace. And then I can also see where, from their perspective, if they would have approached it with more humility and grace as well, that the conversation could have been different and potential for change could, could be there. But the reality is, is that those in power, those in leadership, tend to tend to not be receptive. If it's not their idea, they're not receptive. You know, I don't, I don't know who said it, but... Um, it's something that's always stuck with me. And those, a lot of my friends have heard me say this before, but nothing changes if nothing changes. Those in a position of power often lose perspective, uh, and especially in the church world. And I've been thinking a lot about this in, in American context, especially with politics. I think 2020 has really brought into focus how separated from reality those in power really are from the people. You know, those in, in a position of power, they lose perspective. They lose perspective of reality. And I think that's especially true in the church world. Uh, the modern church system is designed, whether, whether it's intentional or not, uh, to create a divide between leaders and the rest of us. Now, we've talked about in church history where that began to come into play. Around the 300s, um, there began to be this building of a hierarchy within the church world. But in our modern context, only those with proper schooling and experience, they can lead in a professional level. This structure automatically creates a divide, I think, not only between the clergy and the rest of us, but between us and God. And so whether we realize it or not, we, 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 we can go and listen to a pastor or a preacher preach on and talk about how we have the Holy Spirit and we're connected to God and like we need to be disciples or followers of Jesus and we need to emulate Jesus and, 
and we talk about these things, but but the reality of everything in our structure is is continually reinforcing this idea that only specific people can speak for God, and only specific people can be a representation of God. And so what we what we are doing continually in the structure and the system of the church world, especially in the American context, is that we read Scripture through the same lens of this leadership. So when you question this, you are considered to be against the church or you're a heretic. Most churches I've been in, they're very quick to squelch or quiet those that want to push. And I think it's it's because of that it is a um, church leadership oftentimes is a mixed, it's a mixed cocktail of pride and spiritual piety. I don't really believe that people become a church leader because they want that. I'm a firm believer that most people that go into ministry, especially leadership within ministry, that they do it with a pure heart. But they also carry with them kind of a false belief. And that's this belief that that only certain people are called to lead or to be in ministry. As a people, we are complicit in the system. We we don't question because we believe we believe the lie that spiritual leaders are other, right? The spiritual leaders, they're holy, they're separate, they are different than us. And so because of that, because of that belief, we actually don't provide a safe place for leaders to be human. And if we're really, really honest, I think we'd like it this way because our responsibility is then shouldered by the quote-unquote professional. So our entire system is set up on the fact that, that we believe that those that are, that are to speak for God, that they are other, that they're holy, that they're different. And we have this expectation of them. And then you mix it and you baptize it in the celebrity culture in America, and you have something very, very toxic. So here's the truth about power in the church. There are men and women with fragile egos that have now got their identity wrapped in beliefs that they are to do God's work full-time. And on top of that, there's a system that is designed to keep the clergy separate from the common folk. And these settings are designed to elevate the professionals while we observe. And all of this ultimately comes from a school of thought that is steeped in fear. And what this does, what this has done is it has created this, this atmosphere of fear. We, as a common folk, we're, we are afraid to enter into a real connection and community with and communion with God. And so we have our professionals that stand between us and God. But then on the professional level, we have a fear of being found out that, hey, we're not pure, we're not holy, we're not right. We have issues. We have alcohol addictions or drug addictions, or we lust and look at porn, or, you know, we, we have these things. And so as a professional in ministry, we bear those crosses or those burdens quietly. Because to say those things out loud and to bring those out into the light, we're afraid of what will happen. And so you have both groups of people that are interacting and that are acting on fears. And on top of it, most of us, because we've inherited this through like 1,500 years, the structure and the system, we just continue to perpetuate it because we believe that that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, um, Jesus actually warned us. He warned his, his followers of this. You know, I'm sure I've already shared this before, but it's, it's something that I always come back to when, when talking about leadership in the church. And something that Jesus warned us about early on, he told his disciples, don't be like the Gentiles, don't lord over them, but lead with a towel. We're not to, he, he was warning them, hey, the kingdom of God is not to take on the structure that you see in leadership, this hierarchical, top-down leadership. Jesus warned his followers of that. You know, but let's, let's be honest, in the church world, we don't look to Jesus really, we look to Paul. And Paul is the one we look to the most for our confirmation bias towards church structure. Some years back, I, after I'd left the, the last big church that I was at, 
I went through a healing period, and then I, um, my wife and I decided, hey, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do a house church. We ought to just start a house church. In doing that, I had a lot of people approach me, and they're like, hey, man, like, what's your leadership structure going to be like? And the big thing they would always come back on is like, you know, what about elders? What about deacons? What about these things? Like, where, where are the elders at? And we always go to Paul and his teaching about church structure. But I've, I've found it interesting that we only, we, we take what he says in these specific contexts to specific people, and we automatically apply it to every church everywhere always. And the problem is, is that we read Paul, we read this through our modern lens. Instead of putting ourselves in the cultural context of the day, and if we do that, it changes a lot of assumptions. There's a book I read a while back called Primal Fire by a guy named Neil Cole. It's really good, just talking about the, the church leadership structure. And he talks a lot about church leadership structure and how we've, we've misconstrued and we've, mis, we've misread a lot of things. or We read a lot of leadership structure stuff in the church. We read it through the lens and the context that we are in instead of looking in the context of the day that it was written. And one of the things he talks about, and, and this is kind of a movement in some Christian circles and some church circles, but this, this talk of these five major gifts of leadership that are found in the church. And that's the, these gifts of the, of the apostle, of the prophet, of the teacher, of the evangelist, of the shepherd, or the pastor. When all of these forms of leadership are working together, there is a, a cohesion. You know, in this book, uh, Primal Fire, one of the things he, he brings up, it's really talking more about this, this idea that there's more than just one type of leader within the church and that how they all need to work together, that being the, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the shepherd, all of them working together. And when they do, the church is healthy. Now, some of you, those of you in the Reformation circles, you're, you're going to bristle at that idea. You're going to be like, well, the prophets are gone, the apostles are gone, which is not true. And I find it very ironic, actually, that usually the ones that are most staunch on teaching that are those with the gift of teaching. I find it very interesting that usually the ones that are, that, that all of the gifts that are missing are just so happen to not be the gift that the teacher has, right? Unfortunately, that teaching has hamstrung those in the reform circles. You know, most of our uh, leadership structures that we have now uh, within, the, within the Christian church derives from the Reformation era. One of the things Wolfgang Simpson, he, he talks about in his book, is that during the Reformation, there was this theological Reformation. So there's this Reformation of how we view God, but not a structural Reformation. So we reformed the theology or the teaching of God or the thought of God, but we kept the hierarchy of leadership. We just changed the names is really what happened. And actually, what by doing this, what this has done is it has actually weaponized many in the church. And ultimately, it has crushed God's people. You know, the founding of the Roman Catholic Church Basically, what happened is it became an arm of the empire. We talked about that in the church history episode. But this was filled, filled with the abuse of power. And all of it actually was rooted, the reason why it formed, it was rooted in this idea of Peter being the father of the church. And that idea actually comes from where Jesus and Peter are having this interaction. And Jesus says, he says, your name is Peter, which means rock. And then he goes on to say, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, here's the problem with that, and we, we interpret this wrong all the time, and I've probably been guilty of it myself, but when you look at the root words of those, those things, what you see is that the meaning for Peter means piece of a bigger rock. And so what you see is there's this wordplay going on that Jesus says, your name is Peter, you're a piece of me, you're, you're a piece of a bigger rock. And he says, but upon this rock, and when you, re when you see the root of this rock, what that's talking about is talking about the bigger rock. 
So Jesus, when he's having this interaction with Peter, what he's really saying is like, hey, you are a piece of me, but upon me, I will build my church. But we've always interpreted it. And the, and the reason why I think a lot of it is because, you know, the Catholic Church took that and they, they ran with it. Peter, St. Peter, he is the father of the church. No, Jesus was saying, hey, I'm building my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And Peter, you're a part of that. But we get that twisted and we get that mixed up. A big part of the problem in our church structure and the reason why we have toxic leaders even today is because of the church structure, which is built on the foundation of the idea and and this concept or this idea of the teachings of the disciples of Jesus and not so much on the teachings of Jesus. There needs to be a a restructuring. And as a spiritual refugee, if you're one that has walked away from the church world, you see that and you're like, yes, I've experienced that. I've experienced toxic leadership. That's why I'm gone. That's why I've left. You know, Jesus kind of sealed this this idea, this concept of him building his church upon the rock when he died upon a cross. You know, in the story of Jesus dying on the cross, we, we read where the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That obviously... I say obviously, but that that is a representation of everything man has done to build a religion. Everything man has done um, to try to get to God has been torn. We we've had this concept or this idea of the old covenant, which was you know we had a priest who would go before us and would go into the holy of holies, and he would go before God on our behalf. That was torn. That was ended when Jesus died on the cross. Yet it took 300 plus years for us to reestablish that religion or that part of religion into Christianity. And we continue to build upon that tradition. But yet Jesus tore the veil. Jesus became the great high priest so that we could have connection, interaction with God. I think for, for some of us, we, we feel that, we know that, but we are absolutely terrified. It's easier for us to just continue to uphold that mindset of church leadership and it's crushing us. You know, I talked about A.W. Tozer in the last episode, and probably one of my favorite books of his. It's a book that I recommend to a lot of people. It's one that I read often. It's called The Pursuit of God. It's a little book. Uh, it's a powerful book. But in it, he one of the chapters, he's talking about uh, removing the veil. And I wanted to um, just share this with you. Hopefully, it's an encouragement to some of you who are trying to break away from your reliance on whether it be a specific church or your reliance upon a pastor to connect you to God. And yet Jesus is saying, I've, I've removed all hindrances for you if you come through me. I think this little bit that I'm going to read, it kind of captures maybe what you, you might be going through. It says, let us remember that when we talk of the rending of the veil, we are speaking in a figure. And the thought of it is poetical, almost pleasant. But in actuality, there's nothing pleasant about it. In human experience, that veil is made of living spiritual tissue. It is composed of the sentient, quivering stuff of which our whole beings consist. And to touch it is to touch us where we feel pain. To tear it away is to injure us, to hurt us and make us bleed. To say otherwise is to make the cross no cross, and death no death at all. It is never fun to die. To rip through the dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply painful. Yet, that is what the cross did to Jesus and it is what the cross would do to every man to set him free. You know, my, my hope in talking about toxic leadership and just talking about the leadership structures in, in the modern day church world and pushing on that, my hope is we can be set free of this idea that we need pastor or a church leader to connect us to God. And some of you are listening, you're like, well, we need, listen, there's a lot of 
people in leadership, in church leadership, that have gifts that God uses. But if we're honest, we've cultivated a dependence upon them. And because of that, it has become a hindrance. They have become a veil between us and God and the experience of God. And as a spiritual refugee, many of us, especially if we're out of the church system altogether, we don't have that anyway. But we have to tear through. We have to break down this idea that we have to have that to be connected to God. When God is just saying, I want a relationship with you. And Jesus, and it's through Jesus because he's already torn through that. And so my hope and my encouragement is that even through the painful things in life, maybe the things that you've already gone through to become a spiritual refugee, maybe the, the hurt and the pain that you've experienced is not necessarily something to be cursed or to be shunned or run away from, but maybe it's actually a gift that it's separated our dependence upon other people so that we can have a greater dependence upon God himself. So what's next? There's a couple options. We could either, those of us in the church world, we could keep the status quo, try to reshape it from within. Many of you tried that and have found that the pride of man in the system and structure will crush you. Or we can begin to play outside the church walls. I really truly believe with everything in me that God is at work in the lives of people who call upon his name. And even on the, in the lives of people that don't think that he is working in ways that we aren't used to seeing, that we're not used to seeing necessarily. I really truly believe that um, a lot of what's been going on in our culture today, and especially in America in 2020, is God is beginning to shake and break up these church systems and structures that we have built our empire, our little empires on. Through the years of history and through all of that, I believe that there, this shaking that is happening in, happening in our country right now, a lot of people don't know how to handle it because we become so dependent upon the pastor or the church system and church structure. In, in all actuality, that has become our God. Our relationship with that system and that structure has actually replaced our relationship with God. And I think that, that there's this shaking in things that is happening and it's painful and it's hurtful and it it's, almost feels like it's harmful to us. But I think we're going to find that if we embrace that, that if we let those things fall, that we might have a clearer picture of who God is, that we might actually begin to grasp Him and experience His presence. And that's my encouragement to you, my hope for you. That's all I got. Um, you know, maybe you completely 100% disagree with me. And if so, I invite you, please send me an email, send me a message. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you can do that at stainedglasspod at gmail.com or on any of our social media outlets at stainedglasspod. I, in no way, am perfect. I, in no way, have all the answers, but I am just pushing, as per the name of this podcast, Shattering the Stained Glass, I am pushing on things that maybe we've held dear that have replaced our worship of God with the worship of things that are not of God. So, but yeah, I would love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your ideas. Um, if you have any suggestions or maybe you would like me to dive in deeper on a topic or anything that, that I've talked about so far, uh, let me know. Send an email. Some of you guys, you've been hitting me up and I appreciate it. I've, I've, uh, I know that uh, one person had asked me about purity culture. That's something that I'm, I'm definitely going to talk about down, down the road. Um, so um, I, I lived through the 90s and I have def- definitely been deeply affected by that. So there, there will probably come a time soon where I'll talk about that. But Yeah, so that's all I got. So until next time, friends, may you always be just, love mercy, and walk in humility.
This has been a production of Humble Planet Media Group, copyright 2020. All views and opinions are that of the individuals and not necessarily of Shattering the Stained Glass, Humble Planet Media Group, their sponsors, or affiliates. Special thanks to Eric Jordan for the intro music, Megan and David Frey for the logo design, and you, the listener, for downloading, sharing, and engaging on social media. All rights reserved. Humble Planet.